As you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, I was reminded uh, this week of a person sharing a story of a family who had adopted a boy. There was a long process they had gone through to finally bring about the adoption, and it happened. And as they brought this boy home, whom they were pouring out their love on, they gave him a tour of the house. And they said, this is your room, and this bed is yours. It was a nice room and a nice bed. And they said, these drawers are filled with your clothing. Then they opened up a, a closet and some other boxes, and they were just filled with all kinds of toys, they took him through the house and showed him other things. They went to the kitchen and, and was showing this kitchen and said, here's the refrigerator. There's food in here. Have as much as you want. They showed him the cupboards and, and said, any of these snacks, any of these things, uh, take freely because they're yours. And as he went about his first week there, the parents thought it was just strange, some of the behavior they noticed that he would not sleep in the bed, but he would sleep on the floor. They noticed that the, uh, all the changes of the clothes were not being used. They saw that he did not play with all the vast amounts of toys and things they had given him. In the kitchen, he never opened the refrigerator. He never went to the cupboard and took any of the food, but just ate at the mealtime. And they talked to him after him being there a week. And he began to explain to them why this was so hard for him to experience the love and the grace of this family upon him. Because he said in the orphanage, many of us shared beds. In the orphanage, we only had a couple of toys for everyone to play with. In the orphanage, we only had a couple of changes of clothes. In the orphanage, we only ate when there was meals. There was no snacks or any of these extras. <clears throat> and what this boy was struggling with was how much love and how much grace was being poured out upon him. And as I reflected on that, reflected on this letter of Philippians, from the beginning to the end, Paul writes of the grace of God for his people. And it is a treasure for all who are in Christ to be reminded daily of God's grace, to even as, as one of our elders, Tim, who just read to you Ephesians chapter 2, at the beginning of that text doesn't sound very exciting, to be reminded of our past and to know of our present in Christ and be reminded of the cross and the empty tomb is the grace of God that he's poured out upon his people. This morning as we look at Chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, the scriptural truth this morning is this. The grace of God transforms hearts, turning enemies of God into holy people set apart for the glory of God. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. Paul writes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, we've been blessed to be able to read the words of the Lord God Almighty, to be able to have it printed before us or on our technology that we can open it and read it at any time. Father, we pray and ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, make the words come alive. 
uh, to our hearts that we would live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to look at three, four key words here in these last few uh, sentences of this letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And the first one is the word saints. The first point is saints in Christ Jesus. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Now, he opened his letter. If you go back to chapter 1, he says in verse 2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, I just missed the spot in verse 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. What do you think of when you hear the word saint? What do you think of when you hear someone being called a saint? Is it stained glass? Is it statues of people? Is it the super Christians that you think you could never uh, be like? Is it the names of people who uh, people pray to and people uh, light candles to, people uh, worship and pray to? What does it mean when it comes to your mind when you hear the word saint? Now, at the beginning of the letter, we looked at this and saw that over 60 times in the New Testament, a Christian is called a saint. A believer is called a saint. And Paul is the one who uses that reference the most throughout the New Testament. And the word saint simply means to be holy and set apart from sin. So if you are a follower of Christ this morning, if you're a Christian, then your name, your title is saint. Whether you like that or not, and I think I told you the first week, um, telling someone to call you saint may not be the best thing to say to someone, but this is what Paul used to uh, declare the, the title, the name of the Christians. He called them saints, and you go through his letters in the New Testament, and he repeatedly will call them saints, but it simply means to be holy and set apart from sin. If that's the truth, the the question, the important question would be, how do I become a saint? Well, the answer is, we've been studying, it's only by the grace of God that anyone would be called a saint of Christ. But look at verse 21 with me here. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, that first uh, sentence there. Let me ask you this, what's the key word there? Is it Christ Jesus? That's a great answer. It's always Jesus. I heard someone say, what's the key word there? I heard the word in. The word is in there. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. We can read about in John 15 where we abide in Christ and Christ in us. And so if you are a follower of Christ, you are in Christ. And Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That is the key here, though, for everyone who is a saint. They are a saint in Christ Jesus. Not because of something that they did or how they lived as a Christian, but declaring the truth that Christ is in them and they are in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit of Christ that directs us to do anything uh, for God and produce uh, fruit. But as we were hearing Scripture read in Ephesians 2, we know from Scripture here that 
When a person is saved, their identity is changed from being a, uh, a, a person who is an enemy of God to being changed to a saint, a holy person who is in Christ. And only Christians can be in Christ, and Christ are in Christians. Uh, you do not see that in any other world religion of those who are in Muhammad, or Muhammad's in them, or they're in Buddha, and Buddha's in them. No, it's only said of Christ Jesus that we can be in Christ and Christ in us. And because of that, we can understand in this letter, and here what we even see at the end of these last few uh, sentences of his letter, that saints share this common bond of Christ because we're adopted into the family of God. We were just singing about our good, good Father. And when Scripture teaches us that when we come to faith in Christ Jesus and we're saved, that we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're not only justified, but we are also adopted and we become children of God when, as we read before that, we were children of wrath. What a glorious truth to think that God the Father has adopted us and he's poured out his grace upon us and says all of these blessings are yours in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful truth to reflect on daily for the believer. And the body of Christ is to be a community that's in relationship with one another, founded in Christ, uh, and to have this unity in Christ. If you would remember from a few weeks ago, we saw in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says to the church, he says, help um, uh, Syntyche, and it's verse 2, Yodia, thank you. Yodi and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And he calls out for this yoke fellow to help them, this companion, that they would be of the same mind and agree in Christ. And if you go back and read chapter 2, verse 2 of Philippians, we saw that the mind of Christ that we're supposed to have, the mind that we're supposed to have is that of Christ. And it goes into that example of how he humbled himself and he died on the cross that he gave of his life. And that's the example of what our mind is supposed to be set on, which brings about the unity in the body of Christ. The problem, as with this church here, Discovery Alliance Church, and other churches around the globe, there is the temptation of sin and the problem of believers disagreeing with one another. We're united in Christ. In Christ, uh, we will be with Christ for eternity. And therefore, as Paul called out these two women to agree in the Lord, that is what the call is upon all believers, that we would agree in Christ. And we would strive for that unity in Christ by having the same mind. And therefore, the call is therefore for us to humble ourselves, to put other people before us. And follow Christ's example. But look at verse 22. He speaks to the brothers that are with him. It says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now we know from the letter that Timothy and Epaphroditus have already been with Paul in Rome. You can read in one of his other letters, he speaks of Aristarchus who is with him. There are other possible believers that we read of that visited him that we don't have the names, but there have been people that have been with Paul in prison. And he says, The brothers, speaking of those who are in Christ, greet you. But verse 22 is wonderful. All the saints greet you, especially those of whose household? Caesar. 
Did anyone know who was Caesar at the time when he was in prison? Anyone want to guess? Nero. Nero was the guy who persecuted Christians, who was a wicked man, who wanted to light up his garden at night, and so he had Christians who were covered in tar or pitch and tied to a pole and set them on fire. I can't even repeat some of the other things that he did to Christians just because they would state their faith in Christ, because they said that they were a Christian, he would persecute them. And Paul is in prison, and yet, isn't this wonderful? All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, what does this mean? Would this be actually family members of him? Well, we don't know of that specifically, but you think about a household of Caesar, everything from the soldiers... Um, to the slaves, the cooks, those who would taste the food to make sure that it's not uh, poisoned, those who would take care of whatever types of duties, these would be included in Caesar's household. And if you go back to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, the Apostle Paul speaks of his opportunity to be in prison and says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Church, that is the providence of God. Last Sunday night, we spent time looking at what is the providence of God and how He cares for creation and how He directs all thing for, things for His glory. If you read the book of Acts and you see that all that Paul went through on his missionary journeys, all the beatings that he took, all the imprisonments, all the persecutions, and he ends up there in Rome. And Nero is uh, the Caesar in charge, a place where he, everyone are supposed to worship Caesar as God. And then you have him point out in chapter 1 that what has happened to him is by the providence of God for the glory of God. Because there, the whole imperial guard, hundreds of these soldiers would know that he's in prison for Christ. And then for him to say at the end of the letter, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household, would bring great encouragement to the church of Philippi, teaching them that the power of the gospel is greater and stronger than the empire of Rome. That the people in Philippi who were being persecuted their faith to hear that there's people in Caesar's household that are Christians, that would strengthen them to stand for Christ. As he says in chapter 1, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shouldn't bring encouragement to all of you today if you're in Christ that in this world that hates Jesus and hates you, that there is persecution that you face in your schools, in your workplaces, maybe in your homes, in your neighborhoods. There is persecution that will happen. And as you do and stand for the name of Jesus, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit and reminded that Christians have lost their lives for the name of Jesus Christ and there were people who were saved even in the household of Caesar. The power of the gospel. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek are you ashamed of the gospel, church? No. If we're ashamed of the gospel, we're ashamed of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the mission of the Apostle Paul and the saints 
uh, in the many churches then is the same as now, which is to make disciples. So therefore, all of you who are in Christ, you are to go out and herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're commanded to do so, and it is your mission to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, that when you open your mouth, that people hear Christ. When they see your life, they see Christ And they live in darkness and need to hear the hope of eternal life. So church, be strengthened by the truth that there were believers then that were persecuted for the faith. There are believers now who are persecuted for the faith. And the Holy Spirit of God can empower you to declare the powerful gospel of Christ. The second word I want us to look at in the second point is the grace of the Lord Jesus, emphasizing the word Lord. We'll look at the word grace as well. But he says in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word Lord there in the Greek is this word kurios, and it means supreme in authority. It means God, Lord, master, owner, possessor, and sovereign. The word Lord here acknowledges Jesus' divinity, his authority, his sovereignty over all things. And so Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ is not only fully man, but also that he's fully God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is God himself. And so to understand God's grace we must first understand that Jesus is God, that he is fully divine, that he is God. Look with me to the Old Testament, the far left-hand side of your Bible, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. Moses has come upon the burning bush. The Lord God Almighty is speaking to him. And in verses 14 and 15, this is what God says to Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations The word there, Lord, is Yahweh. This is the name of God. He says, I am who I am, and my name is Yahweh. It is Lord. And so when we come to the New Testament, if you go back to Philippians, you will see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ here. This is the same title of God, which is the title of Jesus. In the Greek, that word Yahweh in the Greek here is this word kurios. Again, it's a title of Jesus Christ. It is his name. So therefore, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is Yahweh, He is the God of Israel, Jesus is the one and the only God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. Paul writes to the churches and says that Jesus Christ spoke the world into existence. Jesus Christ said, let there be light, and it happened because Jesus is God. In John chapter 17, verse 5, before Christ is arrested this night, before he goes to the cross, Jesus says in John 17, 5, 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of who? At the name of who? Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we've already looked in Philippians and we look forward to that day, Christ is returning. He has promised to return. He will return. And as we read in the book of Revelation, you have the great white throne judgment in which Christ will judge. And you have this glorious return and you have this declaration by everyone that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He's God, then you can have an understanding and even a greater understanding of grace, and specifically God's grace. Here in verse 23, He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word grace there, meaning unmerited, undeserved favor. Have you received grace in your life? Has unmerited, undeserved favor been poured out upon your life? Because grace is this free favor of God. It is the free gift of a merciful and loving and holy God. God created mankind when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden to have a relationship with him. And after the fall, all mankind have said no to that relationship with Christ. Because of the sin passed down by Adam to every single person, God cannot have any relationship with any person because he is holy and we are not. And not only has sin been passed down, but every person freely sins, rebelling against God, helping us understand Ephesians chapter 2, living as children of wrath, transgressors, sinners, enemies of God. And I know that those might be harsh things, but that's God's words. And if we can understand that, we can greater understand God's grace when we come to faith in Him because He's changed us and made us holy, called us saints of God, given us Christ's righteousness. But we must be reminded that God owes us nothing. God owes me nothing. God owes you nothing. And I think that's a battle for mankind in general because we battle with pride. We want glory given to us. We want everything given to us and we can be uh, into this mindset that God owes me for something. It's even a temptation for a believer afterwards to maybe think, well, I did this. I went on this mission trip. I gave these offerings. I did these things. God owes me. God owes you nothing. And I think when we come to that realization, we're in a much better place to experience the grace of God. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 tells us this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. To think of the fact that Christ on the cross bears the sins of his people and the wrath of God the Father upon him, meant for us. Wow. What a sacrifice. What grace. What love. And what mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, it was read, this grim picture, this dark picture. And then in verse 4, but God, but God, he's the one who saves us by faith through grace in him. It says, not by any works that you can do. Amen? Because all of our works are filthy rags. All of our best works that we pride ourselves in and we think, I did this for the Lord. is like the worst thing. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to work in us to, to produce any fruit or any good works. And he gets all the glory for it. We cannot do for ourselves what Jesus Christ does for us. We cannot somehow work or do things to be saved. The thing that makes grace is grace, is that God's grace is given to us who don't deserve it. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. You will not have any eternal peace or joy unless the Lord Jesus Christ grants you grace. You cannot and will not have any eternal peace, eternal life in heaven unless the Lord Jesus Christ is also Savior, the one who pours out his grace upon us. Look at the third point in verse 23 again. The word we focus on here is the grace of Jesus, the Christ. The Christ. And when we understand not only that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God, when we understand that he's Christ, oh my, the grace of God is so much more understandable. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word Christ there, Christos, it means the anointed one, the Messiah. This week reading in the Old Testament of the prophecies of the Messiah to come. The prophecies of the Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer. And then to read in the New Testament that Jesus Christ fulfills all of these in every single Old Testament prophecy. To read in Luke chapter 24 on the day that Christ rose from death to life and he's on the road to Emmaus with two other uh, followers and they're trying to make understandings of what happened and they're explaining to Christ uh, and Jesus, they don't even uh, understand or know who Christ is at that point. He hides that from them and he stops them and corrects them and says all that was written in the scriptures, all of the prophecies were written about Christ the Messiah and Jesus Christ fulfilled those when you see his life, his death, and burial, and resurrection. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, 
In John chapter 4, Jesus comes to a town. There is a well there. And there is a woman uh, from Samaria who's there, a Gentile. And she comes to gather water, water and Jesus begins to talk with her uh, about uh, the water. And she begins to ask him questions and say, well, are you a prophet? Because he knows about all these past husbands she's had and tells her all this truth about herself. And he says that, uh, you know, there's living water where you'll never thirst. She's like, give that to me. And then she declares this or says, she makes a statement and Jesus says this in verse 25 and 26. Um, it says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This world goes out of their way to say that Jesus never claimed to be God that Jesus is not the Savior. They go out of their way around Easter and around Christmas time to put on all kinds of great shows for you to show that he was just a man. But as we've just read the words of God, Jesus Christ is Lord God, and he's also Christ, Messiah, Savior. It's summed up in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus Christ fulfilled the Word of God in His life and death and resurrection. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ by which we are saved by through faith in Christ alone. But Paul here, back in chapter 4, clearly states that Jesus Christ is Savior. I'm reminded back in chapter 3 that he says, uh, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, what? Christ. Thereby reminding us through Scripture that Jesus Christ's righteousness is the only righteousness that's acceptable by the Father. And when Jesus saves his people from their sins, he imputes to us his righteousness. And thereby, when God the Father looks down on you and he sees you, he does not see any of your works or in your righteousness. He sees his son's righteousness and he says, that is my son, that is my daughter, because he's adopted you as his own. What a glorious thing to think about, that Christ's righteousness has been given to the believer, that God the Father would approve me as one of his children. Jesus Christ is God's grace upon our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul said this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus, 
for being obedient to God the Father and going to the cross to take my place. Jesus Christ, by his life, going to the cross, taking our sin while he, was, he nailed there, he not only suffered physically, he didn't go through just excruciating pain, but scripture tells us he takes upon your sin. I mean, think for just a year of your sins. Jesus Christ taking that upon himself for you. To take upon all the sins of all of his people at the cross. And there at the cross amidst the physical excruciating pain. The struggle to breathe. The bleeding. The problem that he faced hanging on the cross was nothing in comparison to his father pouring out the full wrath upon the Son, that was meant for you. And Jesus bore that in your place so that through faith in Christ alone, you receive the grace of God that you're saved by the work of Christ and that you're given the righteousness that helps you stand before the Lord God Almighty. And he says, you are my own. <clears throat> In Philippians 1.29, he said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And we spent some time on that as well, that when we suffer for the name of Christ, that that is God's grace upon us as well that he would find us worthy to stand for his name. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we read, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so when we read in Philippians 1.21 and we read in Philippians 1.6, we see it that is God's grace that he's granted, as it says in verse 129. And in verse 1.6, that he has began the good work in us, that we cannot in any way claim anything that we saved ourselves. That he's the one who begins the work, that he's the one who finishes the work at glorification, and he's the one who gets all the work because he is the Lord of salvation. I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to stand <clears throat> at the foot of a waterfall and to have the water just pour over you or or put your hands under it and try to catch some water there. But as you try to do that, it's hopeless. You can't catch all the water. And the water's just beating down on your hands. It's just spraying over you. It's, it's soaking you. And it's leaving you empty-handed. And as I think about uh, this waterfall, I was thinking about one a number of years ago. We went to... Uh, <clears throat> um, over near um, Bozeman area there, and, and uh, there was this waterfall, and just getting up close to it, and the, the sound of it, and the, the power of the water, it was just continuing to flow over that, and to, to put your hands there, or you just get sprayed by that, and I thought about these waterfalls, 
are like this picture of God's grace, which is unlimited, which, which he pours over and over his people. It's a picture of his grace that is poured over your life as a follower of Christ, that he's given you all the blessings that come from God both here even now while you walk this world in a dark place and you still battle with the enemy, you still struggle with sin to know that God has blessed you, uh, to know that God has set before you uh, an eternal inheritance which will never fade away, to know that he has promised to return, to come for you, and to know that today you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in holiness. Oh, church, how blessed we are. And all the glory should go to God because salvation is the work of Christ. And I'm thankful for these reminders because if you are like me, there are days, moments, hours, days, or weeks, or years when we in our human minds forget. And it's woe is me. All this trouble in my life. All these struggles here, which are real struggles. And I feel horrible and all these things. And we need to be reminded that, oh, God's grace. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love for me. Oh, I, my heart is just filled with gratitude for all the blessings and the promises found in Christ. Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The grace of God, the hope of God, the joy of God and the peace of God by being in Christ. As I went back through this letter and I read through the scriptures and was looking at all the different truths that we studied together and the theme of, the, of joy and the theme of grace and, and as we looked at all of these texts together, um, being reminded of God's grace in here, was thinking of Parents who would bring a child a huge set of art supplies. You've got paints and, 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 and crayons and all types of paints, and you've got tools to use those things with, and some modeling clay, and all these types of things, and, and, and canvases, and paint, all these types of artwork that, and art supplies that would be brought. And the child goes to work and just begins to use them with joy, but the child only uses a tiny portion of a little bit, and and uses a little bit here, and really doesn't use all the art supplies because there's a fear of like, oh, it's going to run out. And then the parents come along and say, what's going on? And the child says, I love these supplies, but I don't want these supplies to run out. And they say, we gave you this gift because we want you to use it and have joy. And we will always provide more whenever you're in need of that. And it reminded me of these last few verses. Maybe just close your eyes and hear the words of Paul to the church of Philippi, God's word, in which he says this, chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, But he emptied himself, 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter to the church of Philippi. We thank you that we can read, but we're greater our greater thankfulness is then the fact that you have granted us your spirit. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who gives us understanding. Father, would you put upon our heart in the days and weeks to come, every single time we see a waterfall, that we would be reminded that your grace is abounding, your grace pours over us, it's never ending, it's everlasting would you remind us that you're constantly blessing your people by protecting us from the enemy, by filling us uh, up by your spirit, empowering us to produce the fruit of righteousness? Would you remind us of our past so that we would remember our present in Christ and be looking to the future of being with you for eternity? Father, may we live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for any in this room today who have heard the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would believe in you, that you would grant them faith to believe, that they would be saved today, and that they would simply call out to you to save them. Father, as we take a bread and cup together, we pray that the body of Christ would be reminded of these things, that we would be built up in our faith, that we would be united together in Christ, and that we would be filled with the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.